Welcome to the Philly Adcast, informing and engaging the advertising community. Powered by Center City Film and Video and the Philly Ad Club. Here's your host, Bjorn Henriquez. Welcome, Doug. Hey, man. We have the, uh, the the Vice President Communications at Pico and, and recent Philly uh, Ad Club board member. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On our inaugural podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to to come in and share your experiences in, in, in Philly and in this industry. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, uh, great. So the reason I reached out, I remember doing a mayoral campaign. You were... Uh, you were being your your experience, your work experience was being discounted. You were at PGW. You were working with Mayor Nutter in the, in the city as a press secretary, and we we heard your views on the city and a lot of issues. But me being in the advertising marketing world, I've always wanted to really sit down and pick your brain in terms of strategic communication and and, and your experience there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I reached out initially. Yeah. I feel like you know as much as we know about you. I haven't seen that part really displayed, and, mm-hmm. I, and I know there's a lot there working with those organizations in the city, and then your own campaign. I, I know that's a lot there. So, sure, sure. so yeah. So thanks for for joining us to share. So first thing is, what made you want to pursue communications? Well, when I first went to college, I was a secondary math major. Um, oh. I was looking around at uh, the people who were most influential in my life, and at that time, uh, my high school basketball coach um, uh, taught American government. And uh, the JV basketball coach uh, taught math. And I appreciated the impact that they had on my life, and I wanted to do the same. So I thought, well, why not be a teacher, uh, and why not teach something that I that I enjoyed, which was both math and American government. Right. So uh, I went to college, Lockheaven University, undergrad, and went in as a math major. And it just got immediately theoretical. My, my teachers in high school, <laughs> they made it more practical, um, and I enjoyed the, the instructor probably more than what they instructed. Uh, and I figured that out my freshman year. Gotcha. And uh, at the end, I thought, I don't know that I want to do this for a living. Um, what else can I do? And so I was taking these uh, general elected courses that you take to just kind of fill in around your major. And a lot of them were uh, sort of intro to mass communication, um, intro to writing, just basic writing classes. And I thought, this is fun. Uh, it's also... Um, from my perspective, easy. Uh, you know, I wasn't looking to take on the world's hardest classes back right. then, but I found it enjoyable and I found that it, it, it came kind of second nature to me. Uh, and so I just kept taking more courses. And then after a while, I started thinking, well, maybe I could make this the, the career, um, uh, the major. And so I ended up switching majors to journalism, uh, mass communication, and then minoring in Spanish. I thought it was a nice one-two punch and right. haven't regretted the decision a single day since. Got you. And then uh, uh, you went on to get your MBA. Did you feel like that was very important to be able to tie communications to the actual results in the business? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so I guess I was out of uh, undergrad for about uh, three years, I think, uh, when I realized that perception is reality. And if people think that the degree is just an undergrad and other, everyone else think, going back and get a master's degree. So I went back and got a master's in communication first at right. LaSalle. And so now I had it. And I said, see, I got this master's degree what comes my way, you know? And then they were like, nah, that's the same degree, you know? <laughs> it's the same exact thing. And right. I was like, I know that, but how'd you know? Right. So, uh, but I, what I got from the master's in communication was uh, different perspectives. And obviously I had worked for a few years, so I applied what I was learning a little bit differently. But there was that one moment I was uh, just starting at Philadelphia Gas Works. I had just finished serving as press secretary at the Department of Public Welfare. And I'd come from this sort of nonprofit government 
uh, community-based organization sort of professional background. And here I am sitting in the boardroom at Philadelphia Gas Works. And the the CEO there at the time, um, all of the leadership team, uh, they weren't necessarily worried about a lot of the things that I was thinking about every single day. And so they're handing around the deck that they're going to be presenting that particular day. And I'm waiting to see it. When I got it, it was nothing but spreadsheets. And I looked mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't slow. I could take a look at it and kind of figure out what was what. Um, but not with the speed with which a good communication professional has to. Right. If you're going to see a, a hand grenade coming, you'd better see it when it's coming. You can't wait till it explodes exactly. and then all of a sudden try and fix things. You're supposed to protect to the extent that you can. And I didn't feel like I was in good position to anticipate what the challenges were from the business perspective. And that's when I went back to St. Joe's to get my MBA. Um, and I would tell anybody who's in the communication field, not that you have to go back and get a business degree, but you do have to connect the, the, the communication function to the business function. Right. Uh, because if they're bifurcated in any way, uh, you end up capping your career and, and you get labeled as sort of the the PR guy or the, the pretty PowerPoint person. Right. Or we make the decisions now. You 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 clean it up and, and present it. And, it's, and some decisions can't be cleaned up. You know, imagine a a university decides they want to increase tuition by 70 percent one year because it fixes their revenue problems. And then you're supposed to take that, go out and talk to students and parents and explain to them that that makes sense. I think we'd all look at that and say, well, wait, 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 go back. Could this have been done gradually? Was there something else? Could we have cut costs? And so the communication function can actually serve as the conscience of an organization if they're in the boardroom to hear what's being contemplated. And in the earlier you insert that that skill set, uh, you get to avoid a lot of different things. And so the business degree for me was uh, my public facing um, uh, signal to those that were watching that, you know, I got the business aspect down to uh, and, and what you get with me in that instance was a merging of those those two skill sets. I didn't want right. one to be standing without the other. Right. Because usually you have kind of a left and right brain mm-hmm. thinking. Yep. What Was it hard to infiltrate the, the boardroom, so to speak, or to be included earlier in the process of decision making with PGW? No, I, I don't think I had that challenge. I've been fortunate that way okay. uh, that in many cases, uh, if my predecessor uh, had a, a good reputation and was uh, in, in, ingratiated into the, 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 the business of the company, then the expectation of the company is that his or her successor would do the same. And right. so I didn't have to knock down the door gotcha. for the first time. Uh, there was a guy named Harvey Clark who was the VP communications at PGW before me. Um, and there were obviously other folks before him. And I do think that over time, the role of communication at PGW evolved. I was a beneficiary of it because I was in the boardroom. It was my job to just manage those expectations, meet those expectations, and make sure I didn't make it worse for the next guy. Uh, when <laughs> leave, it, leave it better than I found it. Right, right. So you were, you were there for almost four years, right? Oh, man, all in. I was probably there for nine. Um, but in the, before uh, going to, to be Nutter's press secretary, yeah, it was yep, about four yep, years. Yep, right, right around that. What, what, so you, you, you did everything right to, be, to have the right, um, uh, uh, not perception, but you, you, you did everything right to have the, the dual master's degree to be taken um, seriously as a person that could, could straddle both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Why go into the, the public arena right, right after there? What inspired that transition? Well, you know, I think one of the primary functions of of the 
of communication when I was at PGW was managing media relations. So any reporter at the time, and this uh, a lot has predated social media as we know it now, um, when you were more of a a, a gatekeeper, um, Mm -hmm. that role has evolved to more of a facilitator than a gatekeeper because now no one has to come to you to get the information they're looking for. They can just get it anywhere they want. Um, But at that time, uh, I was the one working with all of the media outlets. It was a time when PGW was in the news uh, significantly because of any number of different things. Uh, Bills weren't going out on time and the bills were wrong when they did and their management was turning over and there had been long history that people had long memories. And so even though it was a long time ago, they still kind of remembered and there was sort of a reputational challenge that the company was going through then. I I look back now and it seems like light years ago because Mm -hmm. the company's been so well managed for so long, um, even now. Um, But at that time, I was kind of trying to keep the the, the message steady with uh, an audience that wanted to take it wherever they wanted to. Right. Now, you know, I guess the jury's out on whether I was ever successful for that, but I think the skill set of, of, of creating a message and delivering that message was one that we found had value in our relationships with city council. Um, and so uh, you start working with city council members, and it's the same thing. They have questions, you want to answer them. And so you're trying to uh, establish relationship, maintain relationship, build relationship, uh, and from my perspective, the skill sets were the same ones. I didn't say, oh, here's my media relations skill sets, and now I'm going to pull out my elected official skill sets. <laughs> to me, it was always just how do you make these folks successful? How do you answer the questions that they have in a way that represents the company but also gives them what they're asking for? Sincerity, openness, transparency um, were, were coins of the realm. And so after a while, you work with city council so much that when Mayor Nutter ran for office and then was elected and he said, hey, I'm looking for a press secretary, would you consider that, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess I would, you right, know. Right. And uh so that was sort of uh the first time I got a front row seat of politics because now as a press secretary the issues aren't just gas related. They're not just energy focused. Um they are across the board. I mean, your day would light up with phone calls because the Eagle sign Michael Vick, uh the Phillies win the World Series, uh Snowmageddon drops 27 inches of snow. Uh, five police officers get shot. Uh, the worst economic recession that the country's ever known hits in 2008. People are losing their jobs. You got this huge city and people can't find employment. So crime threatens to go up. Yep. And and you don't get to watch it. You have to engage and you're watching the decisions that a mayor makes. And you're, you're, you're assessing whether you think they were right decisions or wrong decisions, recognizing that it's not your call. You represent his decision. Right. Um, and so you stand out there. Um, you'll recall there was a, a, a an election for president in 2009 um, uh, and not to relive all of those years. <laughs> but but Mayor Nutter at that time backed Hillary Clinton in the Pennsylvania primary. And right. so here's Barack Obama. And our mayor said we're standing not just our mayor, our mayor, our governor, um, our senators, you know, the political establishment. Yeah, back most Hillary people. Clinton. Yeah. And so you have your own personal opinion, but you can't be out there saying we would know what I think. You know, <laughs> you have to represent it as best you can. And and so you really got entrenched in politics um, or at least your understanding of politics. I tried to remain apolitical the whole time um, and just do my job, which is to represent the administration's position on any number of issues. But you do develop opinions. Um, and you do develop an in-depth understanding of what the challenges are and, quite frankly, what some of the solutions might be. Wow. Uh, a- after hearing that, I feel I feel uh, a little more empathy for Sarah Huckabee uh, Sanders. Eh. <laughs> 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 eh. <laughs> so, 
so the interesting thing is you went from representing the mayor mm-hmm. to having to be your own spokesperson in a way and going from representing someone else's decisions mm-hmm. or someone else's views and really communicating that to being able to do that for yourself. Was that a, a liberating experience um, in terms of going into the mayoral race? It really was. Um, okay. And just so for the timeline, after uh, I left Mayor Nutter's office, I actually went back, back to, to PGW, PGW yeah. for about five years. Um, and so you're still kind of, you know, I was still responsible for local government affairs. And so you're still kind of in touch. You know, a lot of the folks, you know, everyone in the mayor's administration. So you've got new relationships to pull on. So you, even though I was out of the seat, of the press secretary, you're still engaged very much in what's going on. You have a new understanding and appreciation for the issues. And so you're watching them more closely. I was certainly a more engaged um, uh, citizen uh, by the time I had left the mayor's office. So now to your point, um, in 2015, which is, believe it or not, four years ago now, um, to jump in, it was a liberating experience to for the first time in my professional career to be able to represent my own thoughts. it was also liberating, but it was liberating in the sense that, you know, you're getting on this roller coaster and you know you're afraid of heights. Um, <laughs> right. So you're scared. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I was scared because you can't say, well, this went wrong because he did that or this went wrong because she said this. If it goes wrong, it's because you got it wrong. Um, it's not basketball. It's not a team sport. This is boxing. Right. If, if, <laughs> if it don't work out for you, <laughs> if you're looking at the rafters, because yeah. you're looking at the rafters, right. you, you didn't put your hands up right. Yeah. So in this case, um, I found it liberating to discover myself and what I thought um, and to try and represent it and articulate it. Um, what I will say is there are chefs uh, who don't cook at home. Uh, There are contractors who have leaky roofs. Um, And I will say that even though I view myself to be a talented communicator, it was difficult doing it for myself. Um, I think there are natural blinders that go up. Uh, You need thick skin and it wasn't necessarily as thick as it should have been early on. Um, And and, and and because there are those blind spots, it's helpful to have enough money in your campaign to pay someone who's good to do that for you so that you can stay focused on the policy um, or the politics rather than trying to focus on the policy and the politics. And then, oh, quick, what did the newspaper say about what I just said? And I had a difficult time letting go of the communication strategy of Mm -hmm. my campaign because that's what I knew was my comfort area. And and you want to go back to where you feel comfortable instead of staying in this lane where you are now. Um, and so I think with mixed results, we, we got through it. I had a nice mm-hmm. team around me, and um, and I learned a lot. But but it was uh, uh, life-changing for me to find myself uh, and to present it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a humbling experience, too, because everybody don't like everything you have to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, some people don't want to hear from you regardless of what you have to say. Right. And you keep thinking, I'm... I'm giving you my all. Yeah, and, <laughs> and be, like, being honest. Yeah, and they're like yeah. chop, 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 chop. <laughs> yeah, chop, 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 chop. <laughs> and, and 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 this is not unique to me and my experience. I bet right. you right now, if Jim Kenny, our mayor, came in here right now and talked about what he has to go through, um, like the wire. <laughs> Uh-huh. The mayor said in the wire, I know it's a TV show, but mm-hmm. I still take life lessons from TV shows. One of the greatest shows ever made. Greatest show. Yeah. He said, when you're a mayor, you eat crap. 
Oh, you yes. Eat crap, <laughs> you eat more crap. And when you're full, you eat more, more crap. crap. Yeah. It is what it is. And um, and so, again, I didn't take it personal, but that was my first time now experiencing it for myself for that five-month period when, when I was a candidate. You know what? That, that was a great experience for myself. It, I think f- with, the, with the rest of the, the field that was running, myself and, and, and you, you know, probably a lot of younger people in the, in the city really looked at you and looked um, not, in, not in a reverence of, of putting you on a pedestal, mm-hmm. but it was, it was inspiring. It was inspiring to see one of us up there in the mix winning debates and really uh, 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 upsetting the apple cart in a way because you could tell, I, I would go to these events and you, you could tell, <laughs> you know, you had uh, 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 everybody there, some people, career politicians, and then you had this guy with these fresh ideas, bringing up things that people didn't necessarily want to talk about. And I, I thought it was it was fantastic and it was great. And uh, and obviously, and Ed Rendell gave you a big shout out. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and those, uh, those kinds of things were like... Um, little reminders to just keep going. Right. It, it, you know, Everendell saying something positive about you is, is short of an endorsement, but right. but it is encouraging that the godfather of Philadelphia politics in recent history sees fit to say, hey, if this guy could meet with every Philadelphian, he'd win. But what's left unsaid is he has no chance to meet with every, <laughs> every Philadelphia because he has no money. Right. He has no apparatus. He's just got some good ideas and a couple of good people. Yeah. And from one forum to the next, even if there were a thousand people at each forum, you pass 25,000 people on the way to get there. And those Indeed. are the people who you have to get to vote for you. So. I saw that, and, and thank you for your kind words. You know, going in, you don't know how people are going to receive it. Um, and I think the if, if I had to look backwards and say how I thought it evolved, I think from the beginning, people said he's crazy. And then in the middle, they thought, you know, he's a nice guy, but I wouldn't have done that. You know, and then <laughs> towards the end, it was, you know, we actually need that kind of thing. But then you run out of runway. You know what I mean? Right. The plane's trying to take off, but you only have, you know, X amount of feet. If you're not prepared to actually take flight, you got to slam on the brakes and stop. So Election Day says, whatever you're going to do, it has to happen before this runway ends. And that runway ended on May 19th, 2015. Um, and at that point, you don't have enough. From my perspective, uh, the goal from the beginning was to define winning a little bit differently. So challenging myself was a win uh, be an example for my son, who at that time was 11. Uh, he's 15 now. Um, that was a win uh, to do something that scared me. To, to change the dialogue of the debate itself was a win uh, to introduce ideas. Um, and, and, and honestly, if getting the most votes was the only way to win, then you should have never jumped in, you know? And so if anybody was inspired, uh, then I view that as another as win. win. And quite frankly, I'm looking now and I'm seeing all sorts of people running and I feel really, really proud about it. And I don't necessarily feel like I ran for office because I wanted to be an elected official. Mm-hmm. I ran because I wanted to be a public servant. I ran because I wanted schools to be better. I ran for... For the right reasons. Any of... Yeah, yeah. but but the race is over. You lost. What yeah. do you do now? Right. Uh, I'm so blessed and, and I'd be remiss if I, I didn't, uh, as a communicator for PICO, say that 
I feel like I am in a position now that I work for a company that allows me to still pursue those personal passions from my professional seat. Right. So that if I want to be involved with youth and be on the board of Philadelphia Youth Network, this company says, go ahead, do it. In fact, we encourage you to do it. In fact, if I wasn't, they'd say, what are you doing? You're working for a company that expects that. And right. if I say, hey, I'm going to give, uh, uh, you know, $500, I'm going to give $1,000, then my company says, we're going to match that. Mm -hmm. So they allow me to still pursue those passions. If you want to be on the board of a school, you can still do it. So being a mayor is one way of doing the things that I wanted to. I pursued that opportunity. But working for the right company, the right organization um, is another way. And I think, quite frankly, I think the business community has as much of an opportunity to affect the change in communities and cities uh, as our elected officials have um, if they put their mind to it. So Definitely. I, I, I've always felt that great communities, a big part of that are great businesses mm -hmm. and the business community behind it. Yep. Um, so you mentioned Pico. Mm -hmm. uh uh, congratulations! You were recently uh, I took over uh, a new position there, like two months ago. Uh, about a, yeah, about a month, a month ago. ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I, I have a quote from you, and I, I want to get some clarification on it. All right. All right. So, and I quote: "I am responsible for establishing and leading Pico's overall strategic communications direction, and for I'm sorry, and leading Pico's communication efforts related to shaping and protecting the company's brand and reputation, uh -huh. media relations, executive leadership support." Uh, employee engagement and storm response. Mm -hmm. What does what does that mean to you? So you encompassed a lot in terms of your position. What what does that mean simplistically to anyone out there listening and thinking about following uh, in, in in a career in communication? Well, I think the field of communications has always sort of had subdivisions. Um, again, my undergrad was in journalism, mass communication. So you could look at that and say, "What well, do you want to be a journalist?" And he said, well, no, I was more on the mass communication side. And right. so oh, you want to be a PR guy or you want to be an advertiser? Or wait, you want to be a marketer mm -hmm. or you want to be Marcom? That's marketing and yeah. communication. Or you want to be public affairs or public strategies or corporate relations. And, and you start to realize that you can slice it however you want. Um, and so for me, from my uh, professional perspective, I have kind of viewed strategic communication as an umbrella term to capture anything that you want to put underneath it. Um, and so when I present myself to a PICO as a candidate for a position, I'm saying, if you bring me on board, what I bring is all the tools, um, all the different arrows in my quiver that may be necessary to solve a problem. So today, it may be that you need me to be one of the best uh, media relations specialists engaging with reporters, putting together press conferences or uh, media packets or whatever's necessary to engage media. Uh, the next day, it may be that you just need a killer advertising campaign. So you put on a different hat and now you're, 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 not, you're not looking for earned media for a reporter to cover a story. Now you're going to buy that story. You're going you're to put it out there and tell the story. But what's the message? What's the creative? Where is it going? Uh, what are the results um, of having done so? The next day, it may be that you don't need PR or advertising. Maybe this time it's a community relations piece. Maybe you just have to get down on the ground and have a conversation with some pastors. Maybe you <laughs> right. need to get down there and walk through the neighborhood and be seen walking through the neighborhood. Right. Maybe this time you're going to leverage some social media. Maybe it's none of the above. Maybe it's a political strategy this time. And so while I'm not responsible for 
all of those things at PICO, I think from a communication perspective, it's my job to make to give the council that this is the team that should be going in this direction. And I'm fortunate that I don't have to do all that by myself. I, I do say it um, um, with emphasis when I lead a team that does these things. And some of the folks on my team are better than I am at certain aspects of the business. My job is to, as a general contractor, to have the best of everything at my disposal because ultimately I'm going to be responsible for how well our team performed. So I look at brand and reputation as being the end game. And in order to achieve the proper brand and reputation for Pico, I'm saying I'll employ crisis communication, we'll respond to storms appropriately, we'll respond to media inquiries appropriately, we'll manage social media appropriately. Um, we'll be in the boardroom, we'll look at the numbers appropriately, we'll talk to all of our interested stakeholders, we'll be mindful of the regulatory environment, these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, they all have to work to support a brand and reputation that we want. The tools necessary to build will vary as necessary. So like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. So on that, I, I'm originally from New York, and uh, Con Edison in New York. Mm-hmm. And um uh, it's an energy company. Uh, before or right when deregulation was happening, uh, they had they were in a position that they'd never been in before, where there was competition. And I remember an, an ad campaign stands out in my head. All after all these years, it was um, it was called On It. Mm-hmm. So their message was it wasn't a grandiose message. It wasn't oh you, your power is never going to go out. It was it, it was just hey we're on it. Mm-hmm. And they had images, powerful images of. Everyday workers for for kind of giving the thumbs up, whether in the manhole or from the cherry picker, and I I view that as a beautifully simplistic way to to present a big company that mm-hmm. could be viewed another way, and it made it very human, it made it very New York, and again, it didn't overpromise and manage expectations. Hey, your power might go out, mm-hmm. but we're on it. And I, I, that's always stuck in my head. And in time, in terms of if I talk to any clients or, or think about marketing, that campaign seems to come up in my head a lot. Uh, uh, the, the power of that. The the Arnell group did that. Uh, Peter Arnell and his team did, did that campaign. Mm-hmm. Are there any campaigns or marketing efforts or communication efforts that stick out in your head like that, whether you were part of it or just something that really you know stuck with you? I mean, I think that's an example of a good one. I, I, I'll admit that I'm so close to energy and utility now. Um, I have a, a, an appreciation for infrastructure. Uh, and even mm. when I was at the gas company, uh, pipes underground are different than poles above ground and wires hanging. Uh, the level to which you have to be concerned about storms, not just rain. Uh, in fact, it's not even really rain. It's it's wind. Wind, yeah. It's ice. It's <laughs> snow. It's things that are heavy. It's actually wind after rain that's a problem when the ground's soggy and makes it more likely that trees will fall. There's just so much more to worry about that when you think about that Con Ed campaign, well, I like it because they're not saying the powers are going to always be on because nobody wants to write a check they can't cash. Right. Um, And the fact is these storms will come. Um, And so speaking to the reality, but giving the confidence that that we're going to be there when it happens, I think, is the right tone and spirit. For Pico specifically, um, uh, for years, it's worked hard to create a brand and a reputation um, uh, around uh, safety and around reliability, meaning the the two the holy grail of of utilities has always been. Uh, I'll get technical for a second. Safety and Katie, they're terms that mean the the the, the average frequency of an outage. How frequently does it occur? We okay. want to keep that low. Okay. And then Katie, the 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 customer average duration 
of an outage. How long does it last when it occurs? We want to keep that short. So we're always trying to minimize the number of outages uh, from the beginning and then keep them short whenever they do occur. Pico has ranked in the top decile of those two numbers, industry performance, top decile and performance of safety and reliability because they've become known for it. And that's where everybody wakes up doing Uh the on it campaign would be one that would underscore that message that when something goes wrong, we're on it. Our brand and reputation studies show that our customers, for the most part, recognize it. Where we are now is starting to say, listen, if we've got that as our brand and reputation, let's start to talk about some of the other things that we're doing that we need our customers to understand. And right now, that's evolution. Uh, that is evolving uh, because our customers' expectations are evolving. You know, Ten years ago, nobody was screaming out in the middle of the evening, Alexa, turn off my TV. <laughs> uh, nobody was, was was talking to Siri and asking for directions ten years ago. But now, Alexa, do I have milk in the refrigerator? And, and she's supposed to tell you. Right. How does that now interact with your utility? Mm-hmm. Might there be a day? I'm not suggesting that we're going to be there tomorrow, but might there be a day when someone says, Alexa, set my electric bill at $50. What would have to happen? Alexa would have to talk to the Nest. Right. Nest right. would have to talk to something. What is that something? Pico, you're up. Oh, oh, it's our meter. Our meter must be able to have communications with the Nest so that when that bill is on target to be more than $50, we tell Nest turn down. Nest right. turns down. Heater turns off. Right. Bill is managed. We send bill. Bill comes in at forty nine ninety nine. If that's the expectation, then we better be putting money in the new meters. If that's the expectation, then we better be thinking about what other technologies are necessary to get us there. So we wouldn't do a campaign right now that says we're on it, and not because that's a bad campaign. Mm-hmm. We're doing one now that says we're investing in new technologies to yeah. evolve with our customers' expectations. Looking because, towards the future. Yeah, yeah we have to. Yeah. Because being safe and reliable was good to get you here. here. Right. It's not enough to get you there. Just ask Best Buy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I love that what you just said in terms of really anticipating consumer behavior mm-hmm. and, and wanting to meet them there, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, so I wanted to get to the advertising side of things. Pico feels like it's everywhere, mm-hmm. right? In a great way, from nonprofit organizations to radio, TV, buses, everything. Has there been a big change with technology, with social media? In, in terms of how that advertising strategy is is put forth. Yeah. Um, so we I'll admit that we're not the the you know, sometimes utilities, sometimes banks uh, sort of lagging indicators. Uh, you can kind of look over at other industries and they're a little bit sharper with with sort of the evolution of their marketing efforts. We're getting there. Um, okay. we're, 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 in the, we're in the weight room right now. Right. Uh, we're going to come out. We're going to be buff. You know, yeah, we're going to be yeah. ready to go. Um, it's a big company. So, you know, bigger companies take longer. It's like the turning the Titanic, you know, yeah, yeah. or turning a huge ship. Don't mm-hmm. use that example. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, right, 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 it, it, right. it may take a little longer. Yeah. yeah and, and the other thing about Pico, we are part of a, a, a larger family of companies. Yeah. We're an Exelon company. And so Exelon is essentially eight operating companies underneath it, six of which are utilities. So you have Pico here, got ComEd in Chicago, Baltimore, Gas and Electric, mm-hmm. uh, Pepco in D.C., uh, Atlantic City Electric, Delmarva Power, um, and then Pico. So that's that's the family of utilities. And 
if you happen to be a customer in Philadelphia, but say you have a property in Atlantic City, you're getting a bill from the same Exelon company, though one's coming from Atlantic City Electric, the other one's coming from Pico. We want that experience to be similar. We want you to know that it's the same company, the same fingerprint regardless of where you go. So even when we talk about things like advertising, we spend a lot of time talking across the utilities to say, hey, what are you doing down there in Baltimore? Mm, What's working? What's not working? So that you can benefit from the scale that you have. Um, We are seeing, though, that from an advertising perspective, we're shifting uh, away from the traditional print. And not just because newspaper circulation is down, but because you can only say a finite amount of information in a quarter page ad. Go ahead and blow it up, make it a full page ad. You pay four times as much and you can still say the same amount of stuff. Uh, Maybe you could put a couple more words in because you have a little more real estate. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to talk to you about the investments we're making, if we're trying to talk to you about the communities that we're supporting, if we're trying to talk to you about our commitment to safety and reliability, we limit ourselves when we just look at what's this ad here. Digital allows you a lot more room to tell a lot more of your story. Uh, Social obviously lets you do that. But when we sit down with our ad agency and we talk about what our media buys look like, we're looking for opportunities where we can uh, uh, sort of almost experiences that, that if you go to, for example, Aldea newspaper, they have a circulation that warrants this price for this size ad in their paper, and you'll buy some because we need to reach that market. But if Aldea has the ability to convene a group of opinion leaders for an event and Pico can be involved in that and have an opportunity to tell our story about the the, 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 the crews that we sent over to Puerto Rico to restore service, and then that story gets out into the Latino community. That's more important to right. me from a brand and reputation than that they know that Pico's investing in new technologies. That's a great big message, but for that community, I want an opportunity to tell a real story that's relevant to them. And so we're moving a little bit away from the traditional print for, for those two reasons. One, the declining circulation, but also mm-hmm. because it's limiting in terms of the type of story we can tell. And I think that I'm not speaking ill of the of the industry. I think m- most newspapers are now evolving to now offer more digital properties exactly. that you can engage in. And we're looking and saying, hey, that one looks like it makes sense and we'll put our money behind it. Obviously, we're putting more money in the digital to offset. Uh, we do a lot of outdoor Um, especially for some of our campaigns where we're talking about our presence in communities, go ahead and put it on that bus that's in that community to show that Pico supporting this organization that you know and trust, even if you don't know or trust us yet, and trying to kind of create those synergies and alignments of of brands whenever we can. Great. So last question. All right. I'll say uh, uh, piggybacking on that. Uh, there's a study that showed that only one in four marketers are highly confident they can quantify ROI. Mm-hmm. So how do you quantify return on investment, whether whether from the earned side or, or from media buying? Um, I, I, I'll say yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with yes. I'm, I'm one of those uh, three out of the four uh, who wrestles sometimes with how you, you quantify the ROI. But here's how I would try. Um, I'd say that for the different things that we invest in, uh, some of those programs are enrollment-based or or they are income-based. So if we put X amount of dollars into a LIHEAP campaign to let folks know that there's uh, resources available to help them pay their bill, 
you can look at how much you've put out and how much money came in because people avail themselves of those resources. And you can say, you know what, that X amount of dollars was worth it because we got Y amount of revenue that came in as a result. Um, if you're looking at a program like a, like a, um, a, a program that a customer preference center where people can come in and enroll and get text messages when their power goes out or when it comes back on, you invest money in it and then you can look and see how many customers have enrolled and did we get our return on right. that investment. But there are other aspects of return uh, of return. Uh, that are harder to quantify, and those would be the impact on your brand and on your reputation. Um, I think there's a lot of research out there now that supports the idea that when people associate, have a high opinion of your brand and reputation, they become better and more repeat customers. So you're more likely to pay your bill on time. You're more likely to say something positive, and that there is some financial benefit to customers that have good brands and reputation. So there are indicators, quantitative indicators uh, like MSI, which is uh, Marketing Strategies Incorporated. They sort of uh, measure our customer sentiment about our brand and reputation. As long as we're moving on that, we know we're doing something good in that department. And that's a type of return. There are industry-wide uh, markers like JD Power. Mm -hmm. um, if you're moving up the ranks, we're proud right now to be number two. Um, we're striving to be number one. We work harder. I right. think that was Avis. Um, but, <laughs> but one way or another, you, you kind of look at uh, those other indicators. Um, and at the end of the day, there's the right and wrong litmus test. What are the things that you're doing and is it right? Should you be doing it even if you can't measure it? You know, I don't know how to measure how much my son loves me. He's still going to eat dinner tonight. <laughs> uh, it's the right. right thing to do. Right. I'm going to continue to do it even though I can't do the one-to-one -one correlation. And I'll close with this. That's why it's so important to me from a communication perspective not to be viewed as the one who just does the ads. That you want to be in the room with the people who are making the operational decisions, uh, in influencing that, offering an opinion about your sense of how what they're doing affects the customer out here. Because if they are the ones that move the needle, make the investments financially and are ultimately responsible for the financial income statements, if you can convince them to be thinking about these other things, now you yourself are part of that mix that creates the return that the company's looking for. You're now integrated into the business, financial business results of the company. And, and I think that should be a, a goal of anybody who's in the marketing industry. Right. Get that MBA. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Flex Saint, the MBA. Go St. Joe's. Go St. Joe's. <laughs> well, well, Doug, thank you so much. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot here. Um, a lot of what uh, Doug has been speaking about are going to be in the show notes on on uh, uh, affiliateclub.com uh, with links, and you'll be able to to follow up on, on uh, a lot that was mentioned. You gave us a lot to think about, and thank you so much again. Hey, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. Appreciate great. it. This episode was recorded at Center City Film and Video and produced by Kirsten Brinkos. On behalf of the AdCast team, I'm Lisa Leonard. Thanks for listening.